Hello, I'm Father Mitch Paqua, and welcome to EWTN Live, where we bring you guests from around the world. Tonight, we're going to look at the beauty of the Catholic Church through the lens of its written teachings by a number of popes who wrote over the past three centuries, and who especially explained and announced to the world God's loving design for life, love, marriage, and family. Very important in a time like ours where these are not very much cherished. But before we get to that, we want to talk briefly with EWTN's Peter Gagnon about some of the special pro-life programming and life events coming up. Peter, what is going to be going on this next few days? Well, throughout January, we've highlighted, we've had special uh, pro-life programming throughout the month, and it culminates with this weekend. So it begins tomorrow mm -hmm. with the March for Life, the opening mass, um, which will begin at 5.30 p.m. Eastern from the shrine in Washington, D.C., mm -hmm. and after the mass is a vigil that follows that. And then the next morning is what they call the closing mass, it's from the shrine as well, at 8 a.m. Eastern. Immediately after that, we begin our full coverage of the March for Life. Last year was a very, very scaled-down event. This year, they're bringing back the way the um, March for Life has been done in previous years, so mm -hmm. it's a very big undertaking for us, for our crew. It's very expensive, mm -hmm. but it's really worth it to highlight this, the march throughout the world. Mm -hmm. And then. Um, the next day, we have the Walk for Life on the West Coast. So that begins at 2.30 p.m. Eastern. And um, we'll have Father Mark and Brother Dontrez will be on the ground there with our um, Washington, D.C. anchors. And uh, we're going to bring you that. The, the rally and different interviews on location. So we're both on East Coast and West Coast. Immediately following the Walk for Life, we're going to go to LA for the One Life LA events. So we're going to carry those as well as the, um, the pro-life mass from the LA Cathedral later that day. So, and then we really, um, we've aired specials throughout the month. We'll continue to air them mm -hmm. so people can tune in and see things about St. Beretta um, Mola um, mm -hmm. and even shows on euthanasia and, and called Vulnerable. So there's a lot of really fantastic programming. People need to go to EWTN.com forward slash pro-life. There's pro-life information there, but also you can click on the schedule for all the programming and get all the times for these events. So these uh, it's, it's really, these are big events for us every year and we put a lot of resources into it and yes. we really hope people will tune in. And since this will not be covered by a lot of the other big networks. It's one of the largest two marches, especially the largest, they mm -hmm. are the largest annual marches in the country, and the media, mm -hmm. uh, other than we, don't, don't care. Absolutely. So have, mm -hmm. having a way to see what's really happening is very important. Right, and it also inspires the world to have similar events. Yes. And you see that it has spread through our coverage, um, different pro-life marches throughout the world. And yes. so, and, and people have told us that they've organized those from watching the, the March for Life. Oh, that's fantastic. Us, so. Especially mm -hmm. since sometimes our politicians want to export the culture of death to cultures that otherwise love life. Exactly. Peter, thank you. Thank you. We'll be back in just a couple of minutes with tonight's guest, so please stay with us.
Welcome back. One of the really great treasures of the church that all too often lays hidden in a field is the various documents and encyclicals written by popes over the centuries covering a wide variety of extremely important topics. I am well aware that not enough people, including not enough clergy, take the time to read these documents. However, our guest tonight didn't need to be challenged by me. She went ahead and began reading the writings first of Pope John Paul II on the new feminism. And then she began to realize that this was having a life-changing impact on her. That was the starting point. She branched out into the writings of other popes over the last three centuries covering various topics. She soon saw that the Catholic Church has consistently and fearlessly put forth through its teaching documents the only true response to the battles of various times about human life, love, marriage, and family. So please welcome the author of a book that is the fruit of this reading, a book called Life and Love, Opening Your Heart to God's Design. Please welcome Mrs. Terry Polakovic. Thank, you, Thank you so much for being with us. I appreciate it. Thank you. Well, let folks know where you came from to get here. I came from Denver. I flew in from Denver last night. Oh, great. And leaving first thing in the morning. Wow. Short visit. Yes. But it's uh, your native uh, Denver resident. I am. I've been there since I was born. Yeah, there you go. And very few people yeah, are natives. I know. Yeah. I know. But there are some. And you are writing, and this is something that you don't hear a lot about, where people actually read the documents. People hear what the newspaper says, or sometimes they may hear about a document in a sermon. Why did you start reading the documents and actually reading them all the way through? Well, I was one of the co-founders of an organization called Endow. Mm -hmm. Endow stands for Educating on the Nature and Dignity of Women. Okay. And we were in the Archdiocese at Denver under the um, uh, guidance of Archbishop Chaput. Okay. I mean, he, he actually helped us start the organization. Yeah. Yeah. And there were some religious sisters there, the Religious Sisters of Mercy from Alma, Michigan. Okay. And one of them was Sister Prudence Allen. And she's just a world expert on Catholic feminism. Mm -hmm. So one thing led to another, and I met her. And she just started, I mean, she established the program per se, like which document, it wasn't going to be our, our word, it was going to be the church's word. Mm -hmm. And we would write commentary and mm -hmm. that kind of thing mm -hmm. on it. So we produced study guides for women to use in small study groups based on teachings of the church. Excellent, mm -hmm. excellent. And you know, this is um, uh, a very good exercise, um, but now that you've done it, why did you write a book about it? What, what, what motivated you there? <laughs> well, I love to write, number one. Mm -hmm. But it was the year 2018, 
and it was the 50th anniversary of Humanae Vitae. Mm -hmm. And um, a lot of people were writing so, about uh, So folks understand, Humanae Vitae was... Humanae Vitae is the uh, encyclical that J uh, Pope Paul VI wrote yes. um, in 1968. Mm -hmm. And um, it was the final word on the te church's teaching on contraception. Um, and, and abortion and other issues. Right, yeah. right. It's and it was important. very controversial. I mean, I think it's still very controversial. But yeah. we had, a, a in our organization, like I was saying, we wrote study guides, and then women would um, use them in small study groups. And it's still going. The organization's still going. Mm -hmm. So we wrote um, study guides on, you know, John Paul II's Letter to Women, Mulieris Dignitatum, you know, different church teachings. Um, but then we wrote, an, uh, early on, we wrote a, a study guide on uh, Paul VI Humanae Vitae. And that organization, we always used to say, is like for the woman in the pew. And so we kind of wanted that middle Catholic. I mean, we, she knows she's Catholic, but she doesn't know much about the Catholic teachings. Mm -hmm. And so... Um, Which, is, by the way, just to add, that, that's not a lady's problem. This is a problem yeah. of the period in the church from about 1968 or so. Right. Crucial year. Uh, from then until more recent times, like in the 90s when the catechism was written, a lot of people just did not no. learn the faith. No, no, they didn't. And, um, and myself included, quite frankly. But, um, you know, as I was looking at who, who was buying what, what was their interest, that type of thing. And no one in our, you know, group of women who were helping us and those who were studying with us was buying Humanae Vitae. Their groups were not buying it. They weren't interested in it. Right. And I was just taken by how very small document could have so much power over a person's mind mm -hmm. and a whole group and that type of thing. Mm -hmm. And so I, I just, um, I was always interested because it helped me just study the women, study um, what is going on that we can't even move towards this. And not only that, in other church teaching also, but um, so anyway, it was 2018, Humanae Vitae. I have this background of being interested in it. And I had a friend, Steve Weidenkopf, actually, who introduced me to the people at Our Sunday Visitor. And I pitched this idea, and they agreed with it. Sure. So what I did, uh, you want to ask me? No, no, no. Well, basically, what the idea was um, from start to finish is I would go back to when the church was first starting um, to talk about family and marriage and love and that type of thing. Not that it hadn't talked about it through the whole history, mm -hmm. but Pope Leo XIII, as far as my research goes, was about the first pope who really dug in and started talking about, because um, it was during the Industrial Revolution, and so he was talking about families and families being split apart and divorce and that type mm -hmm. of all you know all of that was just happening so and, and you, you certainly had someone uh, at, at the same period um, and, and a little bit before people like Karl Marx mm -hmm. and his associate Engels mm -hmm. who were saying that the family is what is holding society back right. from the communist revolution. And they were some of the strongest uh, 
attackers of family, but it was also coming into the media of the time. You see it in some of the operas and others that, you know, being what they call bohemian, that by that they meant, you know, something of a libertine. Okay. Uh, without care, we'd, we'd call them hippies. Um, but this was, was part of what was starting to rise. So he's responding to he that. He is, he is. And what was happening during the Industrial Revolution is that people were moving to cities for the jobs, that type of thing, and they were leaving their farms. Mm -hmm. and, um, and I have a quote in the book about where, you know, they could feed themselves on a plot of land, but in a factory job, if you're out of money, you're out of money, basically. And so, um, anyway, the, that's why communism and all that was somewhat attractive, mm -hmm. because it was a security thing, that type of thing. Yep. Yes, but he spoke out strongly against it. In, in you know, speaking in favor of traditional families, there's, uh, he's going against the early stages of a trend that has gotten to a point that's very advanced. You know, today, over 50% of all children born are born to unmarried parents. Right. You know, this is, this is now the new uh, uh, norm. Right. Uh, not normative, but it's what actually goes on. Yes. So it's, it's gone far and the church continues to speak up on this. Right, right. Um, you know, speaking on that, if you want, people say, how did we get here? You know, what, how did we even get here? I mean, if you read my book, you can tell exactly how we got here, what the issues were at the time mm -hmm. um, of the different popes who wrote these, these documents. One of the things I had heard um, from someone is that if you want to know what's happening in culture, just look at the church documents. You can follow everything that's yeah. happening in our culture and in the world mm -hmm. by what the Pope is writing about. He's, he's giving the church's answer to the world. But and, the, the other side of it, and this is what, what you know is so important about your book, it's not just a history of these different movements, right. but the church is giving a very explicit, well thought out moral reflection right. on these things. And, and you bring out that it's not just citing Bible verses. No. It's careful thought. Yes, that's one of the things I, I was most impressed with when reading these documents. And I mean, I will tell you the documents in a minute, but um, was the, how well thought out they were and how in touch they were with the world. Yes. I mean, it's not like you're, the Pope is in Rome and never interacts with the world. The Pope mm -hmm. is interacting all the time. Yes. The church is interacting all the time. And so that is, uh, I mean, that I found just fascinating. And also the documents are beautiful. Yeah. That's another thing. You could use, I think you could probably use any church document as a meditation yeah. and just really just think about the words and the way they're written. They're, it's really beautiful writing. Yeah, I, I, I strongly agree with that. You know, um, in you know, a few years ago, um, I've, in fact, my first 17 years of working here full time, I went through these encyclicals and documents uh, like the exhortations by Pope St. John Paul. and. 
you know, I was, um, I would pray over them mm -hmm. before I did shows. I mean, I'd spend a couple hours, you know, praying over each section. So, you know, before I did the show, because this was something that's not just, oh, a nice idea and like an academic or right. scholar would just, oh, let's have this theory. No, it was deep reflection mm -hmm. that included, of course, sacred scripture. But it was also placed in a well thought out. It was. It was. I, um, and also one of the things I tried to do in conjunction with this is I really tried to draw in the different personalities of the Pope. Mm -hmm. So I'm just saying that because it wasn't one, you know, one personality that wrote these documents. Right. It was, they were different people. They were different men. They came from different circumstances. They, but they had the church's teaching and it was always solid. Mm -hmm. It was really always solid. Mm -hmm. And so you could find your way in those documents, any any church document, whatever you're looking up, quite frankly, yeah. um, you can just find your way there. You, uh, no matter. That's what I thought was interesting. No matter who they were, their thought process was very lucid. They understood everything. Yeah, I, I did not on this case, but I remember uh, reading how uh, when Pope uh, Pius the Eleventh wrote his encyclical against communism. Yes. It was so clearly stated. He put the communist position in such a clear, understandable way that communist propagandists would quote big sections of it. They would just That's leave out the criticism. Mm -hmm. <laughs> they didn't like to hear that atheism is a problem right. uh, and other criticisms. But it was more clear than anything they had written, including Marx. And that's an example of what you're talking about. Yes, yes. I mean, um, Pope Pius XI was, uh, is included in this book and a document he wrote called Casti Canubi. Yes. And that's yes, on Christian marriage. Important. And it's really the standard for the Catholic teaching on marriage mm -hmm. from then on, basically. Yep. Um, and, and he was writing precisely against the Anglican Church and right. Episcopal Church that back in 29 or 30 had said that it's morally acceptable to allow birth control. Right. And then a year or so later, they also permitted abortion. Oh, did they? I didn't know that. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And so he's writing it, which is exactly what Pope Paul VI had said would happen. Once you allow birth control, it's logical, and it really is logical, to say that, oh, therefore, abortion is okay. Right, right. Um, Pope Pius XI also lived during the time. He lived, his pontificate was between the First and Second yes. uh, World War. Yes. But it was also the time when Margaret Sanger came on the scene, yes. and she was trying to develop a birth control pill. And she said she wanted a birth control pill that would be as easy to take as an aspirin. Yep. And so, and, um, to get uh, to get her message out, I thought this was interesting. She had to take on a foe. She had to take on someone else, and so she went after the church. And yeah. then, of course, she like zoomed to the top of all the uh, papers, and she, her, she, you know, 
she was extremely well known very quick. Yeah, she. Uh, it's interesting. She she had been raised Catholic. Yes, came from a Catholic family. Mm -hmm. She went to attack the church and the pope. Right, but she found her support in the Ku Klux Klan. Mm. She used to. She spoke to at least five of their national conventions. So, having enemies like her is a good commendation. Right, that's true. <laughs> and after he published, after Pope Pius XI published. Uh, and also, so folks understand, Margaret Sanger not you know spoke to the Ku Klux Klan because she was the founder of Planned Parenthood right, right. and was urging ways to eliminate African-Americans, Hispanics, That's and true. East Europeans. Yes. That was why she was so loved by the Klan uh, and not so loved by the church. Right, right. And her office was in, um, uh, well, the eugenics office, whatever that was, mm -hmm. you know, I mean, she was, that's where she had her office and where she worked out of, basically. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. Uh, well, so folks understand, eugenics means? Um, it, it's killing, killing of the innocent people, killing of anyone who's weak, anyone. Well, yeah, it, it's killing off of the weak and undesirable. Right. The, the way you do with herds of cattle. Yeah. That yes. you have certain breeds and certain types of cattle, you don't let them breed. If a bull's not strong enough, he becomes hamburger. Oh, wow. You know, so if, if he's going to be a, a good-sized bull, then he can breed the cows. But that, that was their model. Interesting. That was their model, and it was a model derived from Charles Darwin's second book, The Descent of Man. So that he used that model of breeding cattle to breed out the inferior peoples like Africans. Right, interesting, yeah. that's interesting. Um, I was just gonna say something about that topic, but. Uh, well, that she, was, she had her office in the eugenics uh, uh, offices. Oh, yes, yes. And from which she also consulted with the Nazi party. Right. So she's friends she, with the Klans and the Third Reich. Yes. And two weeks after Pope uh, Pius XI had pu published uh, Casti Canubi, she took out a huge ad um, in like all the national papers in the New York Times and all the papers um, uh, condemning the Pope. How, how would he know? He's not married. How would he, you know, mm. he couldn't possibly know what it's <laughs> like to raise a family and, you know, that kind of thing. She mm. just tore him down very personally. And so then, there was, you know, all the papers were interested in that. They were interested in the conflict. Mm -hmm. So they would report on that, report on the two of them as a great conflict. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And again, to push that kind of agenda, anti-family, anti-life, ultimately anti-love, right. trying to break the bonds of love between uh, mother and child. Exactly. Pretty basic bond of love, the most basic. Right. In, by nature standards. And to do that, you have to create enemies. Right. Something so, that hasn't stopped amongst no, some people in politics. Yeah, interesting. But yeah, I, I found that very interesting when I read that, that she had to make a name for herself. So how was she going to do this? Well, she'll just go after the Catholic Church. And she was successful. Yeah. 
Uh, yeah. And, and you know, it, it's interesting because um, Pope Pius XI was as gentle a person that walked the earth. Interesting. He, yeah, he was a very quiet gentleman. He was, he was the head librarian right. at the Vatican. Right, exactly. He was the librarian. Yeah. yeah. You know, and, and, and not just a guy who put books and numbers, but, you know, he, he really knew that literature. Right, right. He was librarian, um, I think, in his home uh, uh, province or whatever it mm -hmm. is, but then he was moved to the Vatican to be right. the Vatican librarian, mm -hmm. and from then, it was almost as if it was destiny. He just made it. He was made cardinal, bishop, this, and, you know, a cardinal by the time he was elected pope, but it was in a short period of time. It was in 11 years. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I I've, I did a documentary on the Vatican Library, and his role is very prominent in the great work that they do. Oh, interesting. Yeah, yeah. So you have this gentle, very scholarly, very well educated man who's doing this, and he comes up on this uh, opposition. But he's what he said still makes sense to you. Oh yes, it just it's. Um, it's eternal. I mean, it's the eternal truth, and spoken um, in a very readable manner. It's very readable. Yeah. Um, yes, it's interesting. One other and, thing and about what's him. What's interesting to me, though, in contrast to Margaret Sanger, uh, you you are a married person. You and your husband you still live in Denver, and um, you still find that very strongly positive oh, and yeah. insightful. Oh, yes, yes. Um, in fact, all of the church documents only serve to, you know, strengthen your marriage, strengthen your faith life, strengthen you as a person, you know, that type of thing. Yes. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, she comes across uh, right from the beginning very bitter and very yes. angry and very... Yes. And her father, she grew up in a home where her mother had, I think, 11 children, but just like year after year after year. And so she had seen that, and her father was very anti-Catholic. Mm -hmm. um, I can't remember if her mother was Catholic, but she I had so. gotten to the Catholicism, uh, anti-Catholicism from her father. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think her mother was Catholic. Was she? Okay. Yeah. And this, um, and that, that kind of tension and anger comes out. Um, but the church, the, in the church's documents, did you find that they carried a tone of anger and oh, judgment? No. I found them to be so fatherly. I really did. Starting with Pope Leo the Thirteenth, mm -hmm. I found his to just be of such a deep concern of what was happening in the culture. Again, to families and leaving families and divorce starting and what was going to happen with the children and all that type of thing. He touched on all of that, but he was a very fatherly pope. Yeah. I, I really, I um, I wonder to this day why he's not a saint. Yeah. I, I would make him a saint. <laughs> yeah. But they all were. I mean, I even found all of the different popes that I profiled in this book, they were all that way. Uh, all of them were very, um, I mean, it's always written with love. I mean, they wouldn't write something that wasn't written totally with love. I would like to urge, you know, as we're talking about this, I would like to urge our audience to go to EWTN.com 
and find the document library. When you go into that, you will be able to find any and all mm -hmm. of the encyclicals going back to the 1700s. Uh, popes usually wrote shorter bulls, which stands for bulletin uh, or announcement. They would, that was the main way that they wrote in early centuries. But in the 1700s, they began to expound more in teaching um, and write encyclicals. That's when that starts in the 1700s. And we've got all those at our library. You know how much it costs to download it into your computer? Nothing. <laughs> it's free. Uh, we want people to know about these things. Right. That being said, they're not always, um, if you are not have, don't have a trained eye, they are hard to just read on your own. So you have to either get a synopsis of what you're reading just to, to trying to figure it out or really take like slow, like take paragraph by paragraph and try and interpret it. It only takes like a couple of encyclicals to do that and then you have how you, how you read them. In, don't, don't you find, I think that this is part of what you're writing here, that they are, are building up oh, yes. on one on top of another. Right. It's something that is definitely growing. Yeah, that's true. They, that's true. They all build upon mm -hmm. each other. Um, which is beautiful to see. I mean, I, you just envision that it's, uh, like I was telling you, they just move with the time, and this person will take up this, you know, um, cultural issue, and this one will, by the time it got to Pope Benedict, he was writing about what is love, Deus Caritas Est. Mm -hmm. Do we even know what love is anymore? And so that was a beautiful yes. document, beautiful. Yes. And um, so anyway, I thought that was very interesting. Yeah, uh, it, it may not be a bad idea to get your book as a way to help start off in reading these documents and then begin with some of those earlier documents so you can build on them, yes. you know, and see that development. That will be a great training in family. Yes. Yeah, yeah I, I agree, yes. And yeah. I would think it would be great if anyone bought my book. <laughs> Thank you, Father. <laughs> well, no, that's, this is, you know, writing a book is a service mm -hmm. to the readers. Yes, you know, that's that's the, that's it's a clearly. labor of love, yeah, really. Yeah, mm -hmm. this is not about oh, I'm famous and I get right. my name in lights. That, that's that, that's not the, the, the deal, is that you do this as an act of service, right? To help clarify yeah. ideas for people, or as I like to put it, since I live down here in Alabama, you bring the hay down so the goats can get it. It's <laughs> well, that's pretty much it. Yeah. That's true. But after you have um, read a couple, and like I said, maybe have a trained eye, you can read any of them, and they're all beautiful. And the women who went through our program, by the time, you know, they, even no matter how many study guides they went through with the group, they came out so much better and so much more educated. Yeah. And so um, interested in teaching their children. Yeah. They were very, things they didn't even know themselves before they were teaching their children. It was beautiful to see. And given the way that we have 
our, this culture giving opinions about this, that, and nothing regarding family, questioning everything about family, what it means, what it is, right. and sometimes just outright, uh, not only foolishness, right. but evil yes. that is extremely painful to women in particular. Mm -hmm. And in this present situation of un unmarried parenthood, mm -hmm. uh, women end up more poor. Oh yeah, women suffer the most. And children are right there with them, mm -hmm. you know. And and I think that the men who neglect this kind of wisdom about family never really grow up. I totally agree. I totally agree. I, I think um, the two most important moments in a man's life is first when he asks a woman to be his wife until death do him part. Mm -hmm. That, that is when a man sort of gets that kind of uh, forward drive. Right. Secondly, when he holds his first mm -hmm. child and realizes this child depends on me. Yes. And he takes responsibility. Right. That, those are the two of the most important moments of a man's life. And guys are just missing no, out. they're missing out. You know, uh, growth is sometimes painful, I, you know, yes. but once you go through, you grow, you love it. Yeah. I mean, you are, you would never go back there. You know, you would never go back to previous ways after you've been shown um, the beauty of another way. And I'm sure, do you have children? I do. And how many? I have two. And you can look back, and there was some times that it was kind of difficult having crying kids. Yes, it was. Uh, you know, <laughs> when they're two years old and three years old, because mm -hmm. it's not, the terribleness doesn't stop at two. Right, no kidding. <laughs> That's true. And, and yet you can look back and, and, and have a sense of satisfaction in the way they came out. Mm-hmm. And then especially, you have grandchildren? I have grandchildren, five. And the, the answer to your prayers that you hope that the kids are just like they were? Right. That's right. <laughs> you know, this is, the, the, there's, there's this joy that comes on the other side because you've grown. Right, right. My yeah. daughter actually is a religious sister of mercy uh -huh. from Alma, Michigan. Wow. And my son is a Marine from wow. in San Diego. And he's the uh, all the grandchildren, I mm -hmm. take it. He's yeah. all the grandchildren. They're Good adorable. I love them. Um, I think every woman would love to be a grandmother. Yeah. Really. I mean, you want to be a mother, of course. Yeah. But there's something special. But it's special. easier. Yeah. It is easier. <laughs> That's true. We have to take a little break. We'll be back in a couple of minutes. So get your phone calls and your comments. So please stay with us. Welcome back. Uh, Terry Polakovic is our guest, and we have a call already. Uh, Thomas, where are you calling from? Tennessee. 
Northeast Tennessee. You got it. Thad dude. Thomas. We're up there by Rocky Top, one of my favorite songs. Sure. <laughs> so what is your question this evening, Thomas? Well, I have a question for Miss Terry. And Good. In 1999, St. Pope John Paul II was in St. Louis. And there he said this, as the family goes, so goes the nation. Right. My question to you is, do you think we're doing enough as a church right now to sustain family life and marriage in the United States? Because obviously it's negatively affecting all aspects of society. Yes. Good question, Thomas. That's really a great question. I don't know. I mean, I actually don't know. I mean, you can offer things to people in your parishes, but if they don't take you up on it, what can you do, you know? Um, I always thought, and this is very simplistic and really probably not even pertaining to this, but I think it does. When I was doing the research for Endow, I was looking at what other uh, denominations did because nobody was really doing, you know, Johnette. I mean, but nobody were really was really doing anything with women at that time. Mm -hmm. So we started in 2003. But one of the things, uh, and just to your point, is one of the things is Protestant churches um, all had babysitting for women. You could go and do your group, your Bible study, this, that. They had babysitting. Mm -hmm. We had nothing. Yes. We really had nothing and still don't. I, had, I belonged to a church that did at that time, but still we don't. So, you know, we don't make it easy on people. Mm -hmm. I mean, if we really want them at the church and learning and that type of thing, I mean, for a young mom, she's got to get babysitting. and She's got to, you know, all kinds of things before she can even get there. Yep, yep. Yep. So, um, that's, see, now that's a, a really a good practical it is. element. Yes, I used to think that because, you know, some of them, if their child was sick or home from school or whatever, they would bring them with them. But um, it was hard. Yeah, no, no. Yeah, and then, you know, she's pregnant. She Then she drops out because she can't do like three kids or four kids or whatever. Right. Well, there, there's that. That's a very practical issue. But what would you like to see? folks in the to get to Thomas's question um, what do you think we should be doing to encourage family life um, well I was thinking about this at some point with them last couple of weeks we sent our children to Catholic school and so we um, that was our circle those children and their parents were our circle you know and we're still friends you know even yeah, though because yeah. the yeah, kids yeah. are all grown up well my son and his wife are sending their children to a public school and um, and they go to a particular church they actually go to one of the mission churches in San Diego mm -hmm. but I was thinking to myself it would be very nice if there was some kind of, and I don't know that there isn't quite frankly but if there is some kind of program that brought together young couples and they you know they had dinner or they had the kids over they did whatever in a with if you're in a public setting how do you make your Catholic friends I mean other you know I mean at church or whatever but mm -hmm. just had a something established that you know we meet on Sunday evenings and come here for you mm -hmm. know p pizza or whatever I, I was just thinking of any way to get people together in a Catholic setting who mm -hmm. are you know raising their children you know today public school or private school is really expensive yeah 
There I go. You know, the, uh, the loss of the sisters, right. uh, you know, is a, a serious loss on lots and lots of levels. It's not just keeping the schools cheaper, but it, it's they brought another quality. And, you know, a lot of people, we were just talking the other night uh, with some, uh, here with some friends, and, you know, they were all agreeing that the nun at the local grammar school could not only get the kids to do more for her than they would do for their parents, right. but they could get the parents to do more That's than true. either spouse would get. They, they, they were a, a they great were center. Yeah, really. A great centering, uh, which is part of the feminine genius, mm -hmm. is to be able to center people and draw them mm -hmm. toward a gravitational center. Um, and this is a very important uh, element. It is. So, uh, and that's kind of missing. Uh, and there are groups that we have here in, in um, uh, Alabama where some of the young families do get together, bring picnic lunches and dinners, things like that, and have time so their kids can run around. And right, that's what I was thinking about yeah. is that how um, do you create an atmosphere like that? And actually, I know that some churches have a younger population. There's one church in Denver that has just exploded with young people. Mm -hmm. So, and but they do a lot of active things. I mean, they have outdoor concerts. They have a wonderful mm -hmm. priest. Mm -hmm. You know, this and that. Mm -hmm. But otherwise, how do you? Um, and like I said, I don't even know if they don't do that. So, um, but I'm just saying. Again, I'm just always trying to think about how do you draw the young people in? Mm -hmm. well, and, and with a family orientation. Right. And this, uh, I, I think, you know, we priests uh, and the religious that are still around uh, can have a lot of insight into things like these documents and, and other teaching. But some of the practical elements, like having babysitters, I think it's going to be lay leadership that helps I think develop so too. that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's so something. true. That, I mean, you know, when we talk about the church, I mean, who's the church? But people who are working at a church, their plates are full. They yeah. don't have time for another idea. That's... So uh, <laughs> when you come to them with idea, they look at you with glazed eyes. Yeah, how but, much more work can I do? I, and right. I, I can't emphasize that enough. A, a lot of the priests really, really, really are already pretty overworked. Right. It, there's a lot of, they look, overall, priests are a very happy group. They love their work, but they also get tired, mm -hmm. you know, and so this is, a very important element. And so I think you have to have leadership at lots of different levels in the parish right. to organize such groups yes. together, together with a book like yours. Yes, I agree. Yeah. You know, one of the other things, too, that uh, I was wondering, when you look back, because you've read all the way from Pope Leo the Thirteenth uh, and his encyclical Arcanum, all the way up through uh, Pope uh, Francis with uh, Laetitia Morris. Um, and you, so you've seen this spread from the 1800s to the 2000s. And what would be some of the most important 
gems that, that stuck with you? Uh, what were some of the elements that you can look back and say, yeah, that gives me guidance to this day? Mm -hmm. Well, just the caller um, saying that the, what is it, the uh, humanity comes through the, the family. I don't remember the quote. Yeah, but yeah. That, that as the, you know, as, as the, the family, family goes, goes, the so nation goes. Yes, exactly. Mm -hmm. It's always little stuff like that mm -hmm. that you'll walk away from, you know, that, I mean, and everyone has heard this probably, but in Pope Francis's um, document, Amoris Laetitia, he talks about never going to bed angry. Mm -hmm. You know, it's very practical advice, mm -hmm. but um, they're just little things from every mm -hmm. single document that um, you just can walk away with. I mean, that, that's what you remember from that document. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And, you know, when, when you think about this, uh, say something like uh, the quote that Thomas had, that uh, as the family goes, so goes the nation. When we see so much division in our nation, mm -hmm. so much isolation and depression mm -hmm. and suicidal tendencies, mm -hmm. um, there, there's, there definitely is very practical results coming from this breakdown of family, the nation is breaking apart in a system's collapse. It's totally true. And we were talking earlier about how many, um, the suicide rate of kids today and having to be separated from their classmates and taught at home or always wearing their mask or that type of thing. Those things are gonna have long-term repercussions. Yeah. They really yeah. are, the isolation. Kids aren't meant for that. Yeah. They're meant, in, and you even said they're meant, I said they, they miss their friends, and you were saying, and probably their enemies, and they do. You know, they need, that's where they need to literally tumble with each other, interact, learn to mm -hmm. um, get along. Yeah. Yeah. There, there uh, a book that um, I have really, really been impressed by, uh, written some years ago, called uh, The Dumbest Generation. And the author uh, has uh, written a follow-up, you know, because he's talking about how the media, uh, the social media, has so much knowledge available, but so little of it is taken advantage of. And in this, uh, he's written a second book called The Dumbest Generation Grows Up, just came out. And he's, he's noticing that a result of that breakdown in their lives is increased isolation, depression, apart from COVID. Yeah. It's a trend that's going on. And the antidote is family commitment. Mm. And this is extremely important. Yes, yes. Uh, I think that's very interesting because when I grew up and when my children grew up, there wasn't so much hands-on of parents. You, they were free. They were free to ride their bike. They were free to go yes. here, there. But today, you really have to make a commitment and you know follow through with it and that type of thing on children's activities. Mm -hmm. And um, so, I mean, I think that's good that people are doing that, people who are interested in doing that. I think it's also kind of sad that it doesn't come more naturally. Yeah. You yeah. know. By the way, the, the author of that book is Mark 
Bauerlein. I believe he's a professor at Emory University. And, um, you know, I think it's an important, important insights into what's happening as family breaks down and other kinds of knowledge break down. Right. Um, and an antidote to that breakdown of knowledge and relationships is to do more knowledge in relationship with other people. Right. This is this is a key key factor, and you know that's what the popes constantly did. They were looking at their culture right. in, in relationship with the culture right. to understand these things. You know, when I first started reading uh, Pope John Paul II, he had this thing about culture, and I just did not even know what he was talking about. But, um, I mean, he was basically saying the culture breakdown, the whole world breaks down. Mm -hmm. You know, it's all in the culture. You have to look at the yep. culture yep. and that type of thing. But now I know perfectly. Yeah. Well, and he came to that insight when the Nazis invaded Poland at the start of his second year of college. And he saw how the Nazis were trying to take Polish culture apart right. in order to make them slaves. And what he and his former classmates did, because they couldn't go to school anymore, mm -hmm. They would write plays and poems and perform them in private so they could have a Polish culture that continued on. That was their way of counteracting Nazism. Right. And I put that in uh, one of the chapters, I think the chapter on Mulieris Stignatatum, mm -hmm. is that they had a whole underground culture. They never lost their culture. Right. During the Second World War, they never, or First or Second World War, they never lost their culture. Second, yeah. Yeah. And not under the communist either. Right. This gets at something that goes on in our culture. We see lots of forces tearing down statues and other images of the past, mm -hmm. rejecting them, not teaching. And that is undercutting the fiber of Yes, the they want to make it culture. go away. Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. and recreate from scratch right. their own culture. Well, and that applies to family. They want family to go away mm -hmm. and restart, like Karl Marx did. Right. This is something that, that makes this so important. And, you know, this week, as we talked at the beginning of the show, we are trying to march for life and promote life. But without the context of family, doesn't make as much sense. Family gives it that right context. Right, that's true. Yeah, and this is uh, something that we very much want to encourage all of you to do. Um, you know, this book is called Life and Love, Opening Your Heart to God's Design by our guest, Terry Polakovic. Uh, Polakovic. And you can get it at EWTNRC.com, our religious catalog. It's item number T1945. And find out a lot more about these documents. Use this as a tool to understand the papal teaching, mm -hmm. but then also read the papal documents yourself. You can do it. You, yeah, right. You, did no, you it. can. Your lady friends did it with yeah. you. Yeah. Um, this is a, a very important thing for us to do.
It is funny how you can do that. I mean, and the women in my groups and all that kind of thing, they just call them by their Latin name, you know, right. like Mulieris Dignitatum. Like, and if you say that, you know, out in the world or to your Protestant girlfriends or something, they have no idea what you're talking about. But once oh, you get good. into it. They were like it, a secret club. Exactly. With code words. Yeah. <laughs> That's true. But it's not secret, it's public. Thank you, Terry, for being with us and Thank for you, writing Father. this book. Thank all of you and keep up with our pro-life reporting and may almighty God bless you and keep you and cause his face to shine upon you, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And we can bring Terry and all of our other guests and all the other programs only because this network is brought to you by you. So please remember to keep us in between your gas bill, your electric bill, and your cable bill, and we'll pay our bills too. Thank you.